0: This is BBC One. The last program in the present series of It's a Square World is tomorrow night at
1: 7.25.
0: This is a very difficult time for me, Um, I don't really know how to say it, but I'm actually on a diet, Uh, so, you know, no sweets, no chocolate, no crisps, no pies, no booze, and I'm not tetchy at all, I'm fine. Uh, This week's guest, I'm very fortunate to welcome back Tilt Arisa. And Tilton and I talked about uh, Michael Bentine and more specifically his uh, groundbreaking television show from the 1960s, It's a Square World. Hope you enjoy it.
2: Thank you for inviting me back. Obviously, I didn't dirty my ticket last time.
0: You and our friend Gary introduced me to the world of podcasts, basically.
2: Yes, yes. And, and, and all really around somebody who... Uh, has a 10 year schoon connection. Hmm. I think you made a suggestion that was a joke, but it's, to me, it just sounded like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we uh, we talked about the uh, the police career of Dave Lodge.
0: We did. Dave Lodge. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the podcast you're talking about there is Jaffa Cakes for Proust, which was a, well, it's a sister podcast to the sitcom club
2: yes it was it was it's it's that sort of my podcast as opposed to the sitcom club being more gary's podcast mm. um in that i just kept coming up to times when i just i just wanted to talk about something that wasn't a sitcom and gave it give it that title so, so 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 that you know it's like we're no, we're not being ambitious here we're not <laughs> we're not trying to ingratiate ourselves here let's let's have a title that's difficult to uh, associate
0: well i'd listen to the sitcom club and you'd regularly be dragging gary towards i don't know topics such as budgie or yes um, what's the what's the bloody hour oh, i've got completely gone the one with not cal i know calen no the um the one with um in cuthbertson it slipped my mind
2: oh um charles andler Esquire.
0: charles andler Esquire. yeah and gary would just be wanting to talk about the whackers, and you'd be you'd be trying to steer them in this direction.
2: It's, yeah, because because the, there's a lot of connections between all forms of all forms of media. But certainly within British television, um, there there weren't really comedy actors and drama actors, even you know even today. Mm. Um, but British sitcom actors, you know, tend to be like. Protégés of John Littlewood and things like that.
0: Well, famously, so, of course, Euther um, Joyce and Brian Murphy.
2: Indeed, yes, yeah. Uh,
0: and and the sitcom club has kind of been on and off in the last couple of years, but you've got a a, a new strand launching early next we year. We do.
2: We've we've done a pilot already. It's called They'll Ride Up with Where, <laughs> and uh, that was not the title I wanted, no. but. Right. Uh, Gary felt the title I wanted might cause us to get like not not help not uh, hosted on certain <laughs> sites, or at least have some sort of like explicit tag put on us. Mm. And uh, it's all about are you being served.
0: And what was the title that you wanted?
2: Pussy Riot.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it might have got the, the wrong sort of listeners. Who
2: knows? Well, they might be yeah, probably Russian punk fans. <laughs> saying you're not talking about our band.
0: And uh, can I mention the Christmas Carol?
2: Oh yes, yes. I was try- I was. I was going to try and do one one podcast a month about different versions of a Christmas Carol. And one thing and another. I've got two recorded that I had, still haven't edited. It's the editing that's really become the problem for me. I kind of got the yips. Well, yeah. Editing for like twenty-five years, and then now it's just like, Ugh, uh, except of course there is there is one thing I do edit with ease, hmm. but that's partially because it's not my voice on it, and I don't have to relive my mistakes. That's. Uh, a history of rock music in 500 songs. Edit and co-produce. I don't know why I got a co-production credit. Um, I do make very, very small contributions sometimes to content. Um, but only like... Occasionally I will, I will submit corrections and occasionally my corrections will be incorrect. So...
0: And of course, yeah. Five hundred songs is hosted by
2: Andrew Hickey. Hosted, written, researched.
0: Yeah, but you you toss in the odd Van Dyke Parks fact now and then, I guess. I
2: did. I did. I think I, I think I made more contribution uh, to the heroes and villains uh, okay. episode because there were a couple of things. Um, I managed to find a review of a, a live performance by. Van Dyke Parks' short-lived band, the Van Dyke Parks, right? And uh, we had Stephen Stills and things like that.
0: Yeah, listen. Um, the thing is that listeners won't know because because you and I and and Andrew and Gary, we regular weekly we speak, don't we? And yes. We, uh, it's almost without exception. There'll always be at least one mention of Van Dyke Parks.
2: Because he gets around and he always did get around. He's he's I think he said himself he won't write an autobiography because people wouldn't believe it. In fact, that actually makes a nice segue uh, to our main topic because oh, yes. Michael Benteen had one of those lives where he kept encountering famous people. Uh also sometimes claimed. Mm. To have (laughs) met famous people. Uh, I'm not saying he was a liar, but he just, he did enjoy spinning a good yacht. There was, it was something about uh, like a nuclear scientist who defected and he started pretending that he'd known him and got his name wrong and said, oh, yes, but he let me call him (laughs) Um,
0: We're talking today about, as we're talking about Michael Benton, more specifically, we're talking about uh, It's a Square World which was the uh, the BBC comedy series which uh, ran from 1960 to 1964. And we've, we've both watched a, a handful of episodes of that and've got uh, stuff to say about that. But I wanted to kick off by just talking because it is like you say, I mean Michael Bentin lived a very colorful life, shall we say and and you and I have both been dare I say boning up on Benting. So I am. Well,
2: I bought a copy of his autobiography and uh, it arrived and I opened it and it was signed.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Do you think he's, I mean, he died 25 years ago? 26 years ago?
2: Do you think he's... Well, he passed through Oh, true. What is death? Mm.
0: But do you think he's remembered much, if at all, these days?
2: Yeah, I think he is unfairly forgotten. Mm. Um... But one thing that we found when we were watching these shows together was, I mean, it's that terrible word dated, that people use too freely. Mm. But I think what it is, is that I haven't I I mentioned TV tropes. I know a lot of people don't like TV tropes, but I find occasionally there are concepts on there that focus my mind wonderfully. They have one called Seinfeld is unfunny. And they talk about that as in a tendency for younger people to hear all this glowing praise around Seinfeld, watching it and finding it doesn't really Mm. seem all that big. And it's like, yes, but at the time, it seems unfunny because there are things that have come in its wake. So it's so some of its innovations now seem commonplace, and I think we found that with its a square world. It yeah. seemed a little bit tame. There's, is it London Entertains? Is that the yes thing yeah. with the girls who are being shown around London, and they meet the which which producer is it they meet?
0: Uh, um, well, Dennis Main Wilson, I think would have right. been, yeah.
2: And it's like, what they say, what is the goon? Said, well, the goons are absolutely crazy, but they're the stars of the show, (laughs) as if like crazy people Uh, being stars of the show is somehow wild and outre because we've got a a much higher tolerance for televisual and media chaos
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: than then. And I think there's some of that. Is it working? It's a square world, and yet, it's a square world. You look at it, and it's like there's a lot of Python. There's a lot of prefiguring yeah. of Python. Yep. Uh, Python. Uh, it's a square world plus Q equals Python, because there is a certain sense of structure, a certain sense of making fun of the media with the media's own language. In it's a square world.
0: Well, yeah, and it never gets talked about. Q's Q was the, the program that's always cited, isn't it, as being the one that Palin and Jones phoned each other or whatever and said, "Yes, he's got there before us." But they never mentioned Square World. Never really gets mentioned. And um, and it was quite striking watching these shows how how they he sort of prefigured.
1: Yeah,
2: Python I tell you the one ways. the one that strikes me as being very Square World is uh, Python sketch, the funniest joke in the world. Because it's it's a silly idea, but that sketch really thoroughly explores the internal logic of it. You know, um, a couple of men translated two words and had to be taken to hospital, that, that kind of thing.
0: Yes. Well, and, well, the thing is, getting back to Dennis Maine Wilson, he he was quote, he said about uh, Michael Benting. He said that while Spike Milligan was the abstract thinker, Michael Benteen was a superb technician. Yes. And, and like you say, Benteen wanted to explore the internal logic of, of, a, of a silly idea and Spike just threw gags out like machine gun fire. Uh, well, uh, here we are at uh, Doomsbury Manor, traditional home of Lord Noshing. And I think uh, you will agree with me when I say that this beautiful home uh, positively reeks of history. And I think that is a magnificent gesture to the nation uh, that the Olympic training teams have been given the opportunity uh, to train in these bonzer uh, surroundings. Uh, uh, Lord Noshing, ah, uh, what inspired you, sir, to um, offer your grounds for Olympic training purposes?
2: Well, I, I, I think it's pretty clear that the body knows <laughs> what I have an enormous business in this my half. Also about the Duchess Hedra, old friend for her. Fern. Well, uh, well, it had this whole feeling of uh newly
1: went. Uh
2: mad on it. This Olympic business, I think. First class. Yes, well all I can say is uh, she's apples,
0: bonza, and extra grouse, and uh, down under uh, we would say of you uh, you're a real butte,
2: uh, champ the
0: devil are you talking about <laughs> i mean we'll, we'll start talking about square world in a bit i'd like to talk about um Bentin's life touch on some of the highlights because he is a fascinating man um but he was he was born in 1922 and his father was a peruvian aeronautical engineer and his mother was the daughter of a south end waterboard middle manager and i couldn't i couldn't get any more information about this but i read something that said that his paternal grandfather had nearly been made president of Peru, but he'd been
2: president elect when he died. Yes.
0: Right. What do do we know what happened there then? Well, he died. Yeah. yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah, I don't, I don't think there was a suggestion of foul play because there were, there were attempts on his family's life. A couple of occasions where, uh, Bentin's father was nearly killed as a child and uh, his uncle managed to see off the uh, would-be assassins with uh, revolver fire <laughs> which might explain why because the um on the film The Sandwich Man have, have you done that one yet
0: well I don't think I need to do that one you guys have covered that one
2: that's that's true yeah. uh on the commentary track, the director says Michael Bentin, he was very right-wing. He liked guns, <laughs> and you think, well, do you know if, <laughs> if 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 your uncle's seen off
1: <laughs> assassination
2: <laughs> attempts and robber fire, maybe you do grow up with a fondness. He for- was
0: a, he was pretty handy with a gun himself, wasn't he? Because he he could split a playing card from twenty paces with a pistol, right. So the story goes, he was he was an accomplished uh, swordsman as well. And uh, he was into archery. He was a he was a yachtsman. He flew aircraft. He was very, very, you know, he's one of those. I suppose what would you call it like an adventurer because he went. um, uh, He took part in a hovercraft expedition up the Amazon. Mm. So he he had this this real affliction, didn't he? Up until up until the age of 16, where he effectively couldn't speak.
2: Yes, he'd had his tonsils out, and the surgeon was drunk. the The operation was conducted in the, Bentin, the Bentin's because that's um, that's his birth name, uh, the Bentin's kitchen. Mm. Uh And he was just put under with ether, and apparently the surgeon managed to take out the tonsils and a big chunk of uh, Bentin's uh, nasopharynx.
0: Yeah, ouch. Yeah. Uh,
2: This is one of the things he, because Urban Tukos very much a believer in the paranormal and psychics and things like that and said that uh, a psychic, a medium, had had told his parents that he would be a very successful actor. This was Mm. at a time when he could barely speak. It seemed Mm. a ridiculous prediction. Mm. And was it at Eton that I can't remember the name of the tea there, there was somebody there who basically said that this, this, you know, this was curable.
0: Yeah, there was a, there was a guy, a speech therapist called Harry Burgess who, who what, what was the phrase with a bounce and a trot and rhythm and a run? <laughs> well, he had to. He taught him to start at the beginning of every sentence to start to go mm, before yes. before speaking. Uh, And and so he managed to more or less make himself, you know, communicate with people by doing mm at the beginning of each sentence. Have you
2: seen the film The King's Speech? Years ago. Years ago. Is that what Uh, he did? I I actually saw that at the cinema on Christmas Day over here because the cinemas are open on Christmas Day. Uh, There's there's a bit where.
0: Oh, by the way, folks! In case you you don't know, Tilts in the USA.
2: Yes, Orange County, California. Mm -hmm. Um. If you know Cinderella's castle in Disneyland, I, I live in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I like to, yeah, put my head out the window, spit on the tourists. <laughs> uh, that's in a good day. You don't want to know what I do on a bad day. Anyway, <laughs> there's a trick that uh, Lionel Log teaches George the Six. Right. Before certain sounds to go ah, and once you know that that's something he does. You can you can then hear it in George VI's speech. Yes. I think it's... Um, I don't know if it's particular to English. There's quite a lot of languages don't like starting with a cluster of consonants. So, for instance, because I speak a little bit, a little tiny... Un poco, muy, muy poquito. <laughs> um, pequeño, sorry. I used the wrong word there. Uh, a little bit of Spanish. I did. I did study. I did. I did actually take Spanish lessons for a bit uh, yeah. with a teacher from Valencia, yeah. and he was frowning one time. I thought so I thought I was doing right, and he said, uh, "No, no, you, you, you're you're getting it right, but you have a Mexican accent." Which, as I was taking, as I was taking Spanish, because I found that I was beginning to. Pick up some of the jokes in "El Chavo del Ocho," which I was just watching for the slapstick. It's a mm. Mexican comedy about an eight-year-old boy played by a forty-year-old man. <laughs> um,
1: <Yeah.
2: laughs> I had a point to make, right? So, yes, uh, just uh, the cl- clusters of uh, consonants. Spanish doesn't like approaching a cluster of consonants without having a. A vowel to guide you in, so you know they're going to say stereo. It's estereo. Yeah. Okay. Estupido. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: And so there's, this, yes, there's an element of finding a sound to get you into a sound.
0: Yeah, and so this is how he managed to get to overcome his, his stammer, and then he managed to phase out the mm at the beginning of each sentence, and then mm,
2: you dirty, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then he just he he basically he then. He he spoke English, he spoke Spanish, fluent Spanish and French. Um,
2: I do like the bit where, uh, you know, when he was arrested for desertion, Mm. uh, he tried to sign up the Second World War and was told he was too foreign. Uh, His father was Peruvian. That's This this was not stand. Uh, And then some other part of the organisation. It's... It's that, that that goon thing, isn't it, of the preposterousness of society that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So, yes, he was then also, uh, he was signed up without his knowledge and was arrested uh, coming off coming, uh, during a stage performance. It was the first soldier arrested wearing doublet and hose for 400 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, because he was, and, he was, he was uh, working with Robert Atkins at his open-air theatre reaches park at the time Uh,
2: and he had the peruvian ambassador brought into the issue his godfather uh, his godfather indeed but i do like the bit where he mentions where uh, the peruvian ambassador comes to a son and goes miguelito que paso which is mickey what happened (laughs) it took me 14 volunteerings to get into the raft and I only finally got in because I was arrested as a deserter. That's right. Now tell us about that, because you were actually taken off the stage. It was very strange because uh, I hadn't been in, and I'd been trying to get in ever since thirty-nine. Tony, my brother, was in the HAC Honourable Artillery Company, and I was just about to go on stage in my doublet and hose. Was this is Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yes. I was playing Lorenzo in *The Merchant of Venice*, and uh, this chap, the flat hat, came in and he said, uh, "Mr. Michael Bintine." I said, yes, thinking, oh, at last, you look great, wonderful. Mm -hmm. He said, you're 65 days adrift, uh, AWOL, you're a deserter. And Robert said, how can he be a deserter? He's trying to get in the area, trying to get out. And then this idiot said, take your sword, Fred, he might do himself a mischief. Tin sword.
0: Yeah, but he he eventually managed to join the RAF.
2: Did he join Bomber Command? Well, I mean, he... um he never got to be a pilot. He wanted to be a pilot. And of course they were giving the uh, typhoid.
0: Oh yes. Yes.
2: Yes. The typhoid vaccine. And they ran out and they got some more, except they didn't get some more. They got some typhoid. (laughs) Uh, The guy in front of him died and uh, he ended up being hospitalized for quite some time, had a near death experience, came around and his eyes were shot. So he ended up in intelligence.
0: That's right. Mi uh, Mi nine. Which intelligence? Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, and now you've said that, I need to just double check which one Mi nine was because, yeah, during the war, during the war, there was an Mi everything, to quote. Oh, MI all is in decreasing mi- mi- circles.
0: Military intelligence, isn't it? Mi so.
2: Yes, but uh, th- th- the thing is, is that I think the five and six had, had existed when there was no one, two, three, and four. Oh, is that right? So, um, it was, and it was greatly expanded for the war. So your
0: man Cummings, or Cumming, I can't remember, the guy who set up...
2: Mansfield Smith Cummings, yeah. C. He was, C. He, would be, he was MI6, yes. MI9, oh yes, MI9 was assisting uh, prisoners of war and downed men behind enemy lines.
0: Oh, and resistance, uh, supporting resistance
2: movements, weren't they? Uh, and, of course, there's another thing worth... It's it's a thing that... Um, it's a very dark topic to mention, but it's a thing that interests me. Uh, Benteen was involved in some level in the liberation of Belson, and... Uh, two others who ended up seeing the inside of Belson, but purely by accident, uh, were, were Dennis Norden and Eric Sykes.
0: Yes, indeed.
2: They were putting on a didn't have enough lights, and somebody said there's a camp up the road of some sort.
1: Mm.
2: And that's when they went in, and, you know, and it, it... the last quarter of the 20th century. There was that, you know, sort of post-punk sneering at certain kinds of gentle, uh, corny comedy. But um, I think it 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 makes sense when you've seen something like that that you would start to cleave towards a certain reassuring tone.
1: Mm.
2: Mm. Eric Sykes and Dennis Norden. There's nothing angry really in there comedy there's, there's nothing really angry in
0: bentine's comedy either is there no
2: uh, which is possibly one of the things also that i think kind of distinguishes him from spike is i think there is there is some anger in spike oh yeah uh but bentine is more of an establishment figure i mean I'd, i think i think it's it's when it's the billing for the first crazy people the radio time set sees fit to mention that Benteen went to Eton as if that makes it all right. <laughs> Don't worry that somebody went to the right school. Do you think that,
0: that some of the tension between Benteen and Spike was down to Milligan having a bit of an inferiority complex and feeling,
2: you know I wouldn't like to psychoanalyse mm. Spike like that. Um I don't think I have any particular insights. I mean, I don't know. I get the feeling that probably any given day he might suddenly develop an inferiority complex compared to anybody. As yeah, I but- said, that 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 anger can, that kind of anger can suddenly attach itself to the wrong target.
0: But I can see someone so- with a brilliant a brilliant mind like Milligan Could see this slightly dandified character in Benteen, who's what we would call, I suppose, a Renaissance man. Um...
2: Yes. And and the thing that interests me, and he uh, that I've mentioned last time, is that you see those pictures of them where their hair is all messed up and they're all pulling their funny expressions. Mm. And then you see. Pictures of them where they've you know they've combed their hair back and Benteen hasn't. Benteen couldn't. Uh, he he says in his autobiography that it was kind of like permanent makeup. He thought that he you know because he had he had been a solo stage performer after the war and before the Goons. Yeah, and he'd cultivated this kind of mad scientist persona. But yeah, his hair is his hair is all over the place and he had a Van Dyke beard at a time when that would sort of, where he, he mentions having problems with US customs.
0: I, I was going to say, would love to be a fly on the wall in 1951 or whatever it was that he, he first went over there looking like this anarchist.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, that's what the, the, he, he was asked, that, like, what are your political views? And he said, I don't really have any. Said, oh, you're an anarchist. <laughs> no, he's sort of conservative liberalism. I guess we've gone over that once, but it's worth mentioning then this situation again, this ridiculous institutional madness that won't let him join the forces and then finds him guilty of desertion. Mm. So he sees his madness, but he can call the Peruvian ambassador to speak for him. So there is also a certain institutional advantage. Uh, the phrase is these days check your privilege because we all of us we all of us have personal disadvantages and advantages and institutional disadvantages and advantages and it's very difficult to really see which is which sometimes
0: he never you you never get the impression that he i mean he had a, he had a, a very tragic life in many many ways in terms of his family and well the first 16 years of his life he couldn't speak and you know he had a lot of things went on in his life that to to anyone else would be you know harrowing but he seemed he was he he did have a slight he comes across as a sort of a pollyanna character
2: and then there's the whole thing of his family conducting psychic research Mm. and them being satisfied that it is correct that there is something behind the veil. And so, yeah, I wasn't I was I, I wasn't gonna say Paul, yeah, but there's, there's an optimism to his view because he knows deep down that it's all for the best. It will all work out. He had what, three near-death experiences, mm. two of which saw him suspended in unbelievable light and one in velvet darkness with complete peace. Mm. And so, yes, that will take away some of the edge if you if you're of the mind that nearly everybody goes to heaven.
0: I don't want to dwell on this, but it's worth touching on the fact that three of his children died in his lifetime. Um, So his son son Stuart was killed in a light aircraft accident in 1971. And, and Benteen later claimed that he had had a a premonition of this accident like 12 weeks earlier. And he'd warned his son, but his son didn't listen to him. And then he claims that he was visited in his garden by Stuart the year after he died and was quite at peace with that. Um, so yeah, and then his, I mean, two of his daughters then died of cancer in the '80s, and uh, but but he seemed to he, he just seemed to to make the best of it, if, if, if that's the, if that's the best phrase. Hmm. Um, it, it, it was that conversation that I had with Dirk Mags several months ago, <laughs> where um, <laughs> where <coughs> he's making. Um, at last to go on show the goon show documentary for the 40th anniversary and he interviews uh, Milligan Seacon, and Bentin and at one point he suggests to to them all individually that um, possibly they could do what he was doing with flywheel shyster and flywheel bringing back the Marx brothers you know on the radio and and he suggested to all three of them that perhaps they could do the you know perhaps they could resurrect some old old goon show scripts, that had been, you know, the shows no, no longer exist and, and restaged them for the radio. And um, and uh, I think Seekin was more or less open to it, Milligan more or less <laughs> against it. And Benteen wanted time to think about it. And then he, he phoned Dirk a couple of days later and said, actually, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I was talking to Peter and he said, we shouldn't
1: do it.
2: <laughs> yes, and of course... When we were preparing for this, I told you. I said I've had a word with Michael. And <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: what's your earliest memory of Benton? Can you can you remember?
2: Probably, I would have probably grown up watching Potty Time.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, I do I...
2: remember when they started sort of repeating some. Oh, maybe they hadn't started repeating. Maybe I just started listening to doing shows in the 80s and my parents talking about Benteen and and trying to work out if he was one of the ones we were hearing. I tried that thing about where I was trying to work out who was doing the voice of Wallace Greenslade Demon Talker because obviously Wallace Greenslade is a comedy name. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: I used to think um, I used to think, I mean, I've got this feeling that I've got this feeling that I have that I did see Potty Time when I was very young. Because it just seems so familiar, but I don't know if that's kind of a false memory. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Um I certainly remember the first time I remember seeing Michael Benteen for sure, for definite, was um again, I've said this before on this, on this podcast, um a TVNZ uh kids show, uh kids series called well, I thought it was called Terry and the Gunrunners because that was the original graphic novel title. But it was, I think it, the TV series was, was called Terry Teo. And Michael Benteen pops up. And this, I think it's from 85. Michael Benteen um, is one of the central characters in that playing a villain called Ray Vegas. Um, cigar chomping, you know, Panama, white Panama hat, all the rest of it. And, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of Michael Benteen or uh, was aware of Michael Benteen.
2: Vegas doesn't look too pleased. Nah, he never does. But try and look as if you've got a few clues, will ya? I suppose you two geniuses never considered that the stuff that you're carrying there is very delicate. Very delicate indeed. One good jolt like that and the whole lot would go
1: kapow! <laughs>
0: even now find that quite surprise I'm glad of it, but it's find it quite surprise casting. because uh, he didn't do a lot really. If you think about it, he didn't do a lot. He was very busy in the 60s. In terms of, of television and 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 radio and whatnot, he doesn't do a lot really after the 70s, does he?
2: No. Have you have you discussed um here comes channel eight on the show yet?
0: Oh, I've forgotten about that, of course. That's
2: an, that's an interesting comparison because that's... I mean, it's less purely bentine, but it's interesting to look at... It's a little less pulling its punches in terms of pace than It's a Square World. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that, that quality that It's a Square World can sometimes have of being just a little bit too tame. Uh, if he just never stopped making it a square world, that tone I think would have evolved and evolved and evolved and kept pace. What part did you play in the Third World War, Lord Miller? Second trumpet. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get the case open, it was over in that time. Yes. Well went you? Yes. And, uh, have it... How have you managed to live to a hundred? Well
1: water.
0: Water. Water, yes. Dare one ask why? Water?
2: Well I'd never touch it. You never touch water? No. No. And that, you feel, is Just a, the contributing yeah, yes. factor to the yes. fact that you've lived to years Yes. That. Yes.
0: That and rocks. Rocks. Yes. I avoid them. If people are rocks at me, <laughs> I avoid them, you know. And I find you live longer without being belted with
2: rocks. True. It is, yes, that's, it is true. Absolutely yes. true. Yeah. What are your plans for the future? I hope to live long enough to see this interview through. Yeah, uh, cause, You know another another influence that it's a square world. I think must have had is in some of the early series. One of the cast members was Ronnie Barker. Yes, and those standing at the desk saying good evening, and again, it's it's ex- exploring the internal logic of a silly idea.
0: It is absolutely because when we were watching, we watched what four or five, yes, shows and yeah there was there was a couple of occasions where i said to you or we both said to each other that's that is one of those ronnie barker sketches from the two ronnies
2: yeah because yeah there's quite a lot bentine is um apart from the film sketches that end the shows uh bentine is kind of the straight man yeah so he will he's behind the desk and uh he's definitely somebody who's interested in the latest de- developments in technology and de- and de- developments in news he's interested in like different national boundaries and things like that there's a certain rip from the headlines quality and yeah yeah so there's quite a thing where he'll he will he'll be there with a pointer and a diagram Mm-hmm. And it, it will be like some of those Ronnie Barker sketches and also the, he will do it will occasionally run through silly news stories, which is like the desk routines yep. that begin and end the two Ronnies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I said again, I said to you, because obviously, you know, none of this was repeated at the time. And I said to you, I wonder how much pilfering of ideas went on in the 50s, late 50s, into the 60s in terms of sketch ideas and because obviously, you know, once seen, never seen again. Um, mm. There's a sketch in one of the square walls that we watched where there's a paint-by-numbers Mona Lisa. Um, and Spike Milligan more or less copies that idea for a cue yes. sketch. And I wondered whether, because he's very, you know, his, his, his humour is, is a world away from Milligan's in many ways. And I wondered whether because of the fact he couldn't really speak until he was 16, that's why his humour is tends to be more visual than verbal. Was that too much of a reach?
2: That's a good point, yes. No, that's an excellent point.
0: It's not gag, it's not punchline comedy, is it, his
1: his sketches?
2: No. in terms of, and I don't know how much of a, it's not necessarily, a, maybe it was a conscious influence, I don't know, but the film sketches at the end also have a certain resemblance to some of the goodies. Hmm. Things. Again, you apply an idea and then you sort of chase it around a location. Uh, I'm just, i when I talk about these things, I tend to put them on the TV. And right now, the one I'm looking at is basically like World War II, but being fought with music. Oh, yes. Um, another a career that he created himself for sort of rescuing is Dick Emery.
0: Oh, go on! Tell me about that. I didn't. I didn't no, it's just
2: it's just that. that you know Dick Emery what apparently what hadn't been doing too well, and according to Bentin, contemplated suicide. Really? Yes, and he Emery credited Benteen picking him to be in Square World as as being a thing that sort of turned his career around.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Because obviously Emery em, was you know a, a key uh, goons. Ally. Yeah, I mean.
2: In some ways, then, this kind of makes the specter at this feast, then, is Benny Hill, who's kind of like a lost, non-goon uh, element to this because Benny Hill, in the, 60, in the 50s and 60s, when he was at the BBC, mm. he was famous for making fun of television, making fun of, fun, making fun of commercials, which was seen as a bit. Yep. Um, and doing sketches where he played every character. And there's quite a lot of his sort of exploring. I I mean, one sketch is like taking a nursery rhyme and restaging it as different television formats. Mm. Mm. So it's like Bo Peep as an episode of Z Cars. Yeah, it's it's all interconnected. But the stuff that's this, you know, the stuff that people remember is this is. The people who were sort of co- copying those formats, copying those, I'm well, not yes. copying, but had been marinated mm. in this comedy. Yeah, and so it just came out in their own styles.
0: I meant to ask you, sorry, just 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 to go back a little bit when when we were talking about his uh, his big, you know, his big hair and his beard and all the rest of it back in the early fifties. <clears throat> I don't know if you and I have really ever sat down and talked about down among the Z men in terms of what you think of that film. What's your What's your takeaway from that? Film? It's
2: been a long time since I watched it, but I did used to watch it a lot.
1: Mm. A lot, and really,
2: yes, I taped it right off the TV uh, to the extent that even now I have to stop and remember that on the Goon Show, Blood Knock is a major, not a colonel. Mm. Um, That's right yeah I just used to watch it and watch it like you know one does as a child it's not
0: great, but it's not terrible
2: and no. there's there's
0: some interesting stuff in it and Benteen, you could argue is is the best thing in it I mean I don't think he is, but I can see why some people might might make that argument
2: he's he's the one who's acting the most like a goon he's he's yeah. the one who is you know is is the one you couldn't really take and put in a different situation and have him you know, even even Eccles is relatively normal. Yeah. In yeah. that you could you could put enemy blood knock, not even blood knock, really, is he? It's just
0: no, blood some knocks, guy
2: in a uniform.
0: It's sellers doing a slightly different voice than his normal yes. voice with a bit of pepper and salt in his hair. Uh and and the do-it-yourself, another thing that we watched together. Oh do it yourself cartoon kit. Do you want to talk about that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were
2: going to spring that on me.
0: Well, I'm t- t- testing your metal now.
2: So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, Bob Godfrey. Mm. Uh, Benteen's just really doing the voiceover in that. I'm just going to have a look at Bob Godfrey's Wikipedia page on my tablet and see if he was anything to do with biographic films who who provided the animation for It's Just quite because, yeah, again, we're talking about Python influence. Of course. There's a lot of animation in this Square World, yes.
0: There's a sketch, because one of the episodes, or was it was it a compilation that was put together and submitted for the Montreux?
2: Um, yes. Now here's the thing, though. Apparently, Bentin uh, says that um, it's a Square World was not well liked. Right. Uh, he says Hugh Carlton Green had it out for him, and uh, when when they won the Montreux Festival. He was invited up to a meeting, handed a glass of warm champagne, told, oh, you've won some sort of award. <laughs> uh, but he, he says that Green had asked him to use it as a square wheel to make fun of the conservative government. Oh,
0: really? Okay.
2: And that when Benteen refused, the, the knives were out.
0: But there's, the, um, <clears throat> there's a sketch where, uh, in the Montrose Show compilation, where we've got a singer... Not quite sure who the singer is, but a guy's singing a song, and you can see inside his head, it's very yes. much it, it's it's animated because it's like the, the, the numbskulls. Mm. Um and which we
2: established the numbskulls yeah. had started before it's a square world, but it is one of those ideas that isn't so devastating the original that we can we can only assume that Ben Team was copying it. It's
0: well, it's, it's been used for was it Pixar film in, Inside Out
2: in recent oh, yeah. years.
0: The way you wear your hat. The way you wear your hat. The way you sip your tea. The way you sip your tea. The memory of all that. The memory of all that. Now, no, 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 not take that no, away from me no, they can't take that away from me. Um, there's animation. There's like a Steel Industry chart where there's animation like Wacky like Races kind of animation. Have you found anything about
2: Bob Godfrey. Bob Godfrey is credited as being part of the animation department of *It's a Square World* on yeah, the IMDb, so it might even be true.
0: There we go. And of course, he also worked on *Son of Fred* a few years before. Hmm. So there's there's that going connection. Uh, just to talk about some of the people in some of the supporting cast in *It's a Square World*, there's quite a quite a long list, but some names that would go on to become uh, more famous obviously Ronnie Barker. I think Ronnie Barker only turns up in two episodes and he was in one of those that, that we watched.
2: Yeah, we only had, I think, about six to draw upon. Um, it's got a pretty decent survival rate. Yeah,
0: it's right, 57 episodes in total and I think 11 are lost. So it's not, that's not a bad... Yeah. That's not bad. Uh, Dick Emery, as you say, we've got uh, Bruce Lacey, Frank Thornton, Derek Guiler.
2: Certainly Derek Guiler plays a lot of mad scientists mm-hmm. speaking of mad scientists of course we get what might well be a televisual first yeah. uh, from december 31st 1963 uh i think the character's called dr Fotheringale, some fatheringale something like that mm. uh but clive dunn is wearing an approximation of the outfit of the first Doctor from Doctor Who. So 1963 is just leaving the calendar and we have what is probably the first Doctor Who parody. One of the most exciting items of uh, news which has leaked out lately is the fact that the uh, British at last are going to send a rocket into outer space. It is the tx 24 of which we have a half scale working, working model in the studio tonight, as you can see. And the idea is to orbit it round the Earth and to gain uh, momentum and then to shoot it off into orbit round the Moon. And here to tell us something about it tonight is a very distinguished member of the Irish Interplanetary Society and the British Rocketry Commission. Let's go over and have a word with him, if you don't mind. Good evening, Doctor. I wonder if I can have a word with you, sir. Good evening. 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 Excuse me, sir. Good evening. Uh, Good evening. evening, evening, Uh, Excuse me, but um, whom have I the
0: honour of addressing? Dr Fotheringown.
2: Dr.
1: Who? No, not Dr. Who. Dr. Fotheringham. Dr. Fotheringham.
0: So uh, Uh, Dr. Who started in... It was around the Kennedy assassination time, wasn't it? Dr.
2: Who started on the 23rd of November, 1963. Right. There you go. And so within weeks, Benteen has noticed the show and it's obviously the kind of thing that appeals to him. Yes. And of course, he was offered the part but turned it down because he was told he wouldn't have time to be involved in the scripts.
0: Yeah, so that would have been for, I think, for the role that eventually went to Pertwee. Tom, but
2: I, oh, Baker. No, Tom Baker. I'm pretty sure, yeah, because I right. think they asked everybody before they asked Tom Baker. <laughs> right. Uh, and my wife has not forgiven Tom Baker for saying yes, because if he had said no, the next name on the list was Fulton Mackay. Oh,
0: I could see that. How would Benteen have played the character, do you think, if he had taken the role?
2: I think I can see more or less playing himself, really. Mm.
0: Uh, with with guns, Doctor Who with guns. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, sort of, I think it's sort of eighty percent himself and maybe twenty percent Professor Pureheart.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: but there's there's not really there's not really much he needs to do to develop a kink or a, or a quirk because he's he's got it. Um, i can i couldn't find the quote again there was some there was some write up somewhere which describes him as sort of having a laugh like a a faulty boiler
0: <laughs> so yeah, so the pilot of its square world was aired in uh, in autumn 1960 and then the first series began in 1961 and uh, there's a write up in the radio times uh, to accompany the, the first episode of the first series which goes when Michael Oblong Benteen first took the square world on his shoulders last September there was general trepidation would viewers dare to face up to such sights how many could trust themselves to look around the bend with Benteen or up the pole with Clive Dunn these and other well-known human beings some of the biggest squares in the business were ready nay eager to transport us to another dimension mad 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 in Benteen's words and wait for missiles of praise or blame in every shape from square to elliptical. So there
2: you go. Yes. I think that's yes, a Clive Don. That, 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 was, that was what I forgot to mention. Uh, the Doctor Who figure is played by Clive Don.
0: You did mention. You did mention. Did I? Yep.
2: And he's another one like Derek Guiler, who I think you know t- takes a lot of the wacky characters so they, they, they tend to be like presented as interviews and Benteen is the interviewer. In those interview sketches, the laugh lines all go to the non-Benteen performer.
0: Yeah. He comes up with a lot of high concept ideas for his sketches, but tends to struggle to, to pay them yes. off.
2: Sometimes Sometimes there'll be an entire sketch where the punchline is obvious fr- from at least halfway through. And mm. then that's it. It's sort of, it's, all this effort for uh, a, a weak punchline.
0: Yeah, there's, there's the sketch where he's uh, an orthology or ornithologist scaling what looks like scaling down, I'm sure it wasn't, but scaling down a proper mountain face to locate this rare bird nest. There's a large egg in the nest and then he gets a frying pan and he lights a fire and fries this egg and just the, the amount of effort to for the costume for the, the staging of it uh he's he looks like he's abseiling down a, as i say a rock face just for that Might you these days
2: you could have the best punchline in history and you wouldn't be able to have that much money spent on true a sketch show true peak television can go to hell with we're, we're very limited in a number of ways. In television these days mm. and i mean you just you even don't. watching old markman wise it's like wow they, they had a whole like high street set that they put up yeah. for that joke for a quickie wasn't the doctor
0: who sketch did that I, I i got a bit confused. oh yeah that,
2: i mean yes there was a rocket
0: yeah uh, bbc television center going into space
2: which, I don't know if that was the one that resulted in the memo that Michael Benteen treasured that said BBC Television Centre is not to be used for the purposes of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he goes into space and Patrick Moore gets involved. He did some cameo appearance by Wilfred Bramble. There is. A, yeah. yeah, a step tour. ..objects now easily observable is the BBC Television Centre. And if you use a moderate power on a pre factor you'll be able to see its form together with the many lights associated with it. Uh, very little is known as yet about this interesting body. It's believed to contain life of a kind, but whether this life is intelligent or not is naturally quite another matter, and there's a great deal of argument going on about it at the moment. Observations being carried out by...
0: It's a square world when it gets... If it gets talked about these days, there's a handful of sketches that people mention. There's the the famous Chinese junk sent up the Thames to attack the Houses of Parliament.
2: Yes, he seems particularly proud of that one.
0: He tells a story of meeting somebody who owned an authentic Chinese junk and he managed to hire it.
2: He got an agreement to hire it before he had an idea of what to do with it.
0: All right, okay. So it hadn't been fully formed, then the idea it was no just...
2: he was he was just uh, he was on his boat and saw this junk and sort of asked permission to come aboard and found it was it was it was owned by an out of work actor who said that Benty could hire it as long as the actor got to appear in the sketch. Right. okay, <laughs> which is perfectly fair. And then the idea came later.
0: Doesn't he say that people kind of just let them get on with that? that nobody really interfered. No, no, the, the police didn't. He he, really... he,
2: he he said he got the sense that that certain people were not going to point and say, "Look at the Chinese junk," just in case they were the only people, <laughs> <laughs> the only one who can see it. You don't want to point it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's um, one thing because yes, we listened to. Um, a recording of an audience with Michael Benteen. Mm. Uh, I think it was called the original goon. Yeah, and there are a couple of things where he he sort of says, "Only in Britain." So yeah, th- again, there's that there's that warmth towards the country. He's not quite as despairing of it. No, uh, he think you know he thought it was wonderful that he was brought into the RAF because uh, he had told the officer interviewing him who had been, I think, quite a famous cricketer. He, he told the officer that he could ball a Chinaman five times out of six. Mm-hmm. In his autobiography is quite critical of the class system. So I think certainly through his childhood, there was that slight feeling of otherness that follows him around. So he, there might be an affection towards Britain, but not if it starts to take itself too seriously.
0: We've we've kind of, we've we've talked a lot about Bending the Man, not so much, I guess, about it's a square world. It's because a lot of the sketches are, I won't say repetitive, but a lot of them were just.
2: The one I liked least, and it wasn't because of its outlook. It was just, again, a lot of effort for not much is there is a sketch taking place. And it, it, it seems to have, there's a sketch taking place in a gunsmith's.
0: Yes, yes.
2: And it, what it is, is you have all these rich people who are firing guns in all directions. Mm-hmm. And this this man who just wants to buy some .22 caliber ammunition and has to fill out a bunch of forms because he's just an ordinary Joe. And <laughs> that's pretty much the point of the sketch. Oh, look at these rich people. hmm I look at this pub blighter. Do you mind? Do you know? Do you know, in, in Doctor No, James Bond, I'm sure, switched to the 38 um, Smith and Wesson Police Special. Yeah, with a three-inch barrel. No, with a two-inch barrel. Look no, here, not look. James Bond would use a three-five-seven oh, 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 Magnum you know. oh, oh, with jumbo bullets. Oh, ah, very good gun. Very good
1: gun. Very good gun. Very good. Well, look, look, I'll have fire. i I'll sell for
2: bad, 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 but it's too. just a little bit too light. Now, if you could let me That's have the 44 mag in fact in the gun made yeah. 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 That's the one you want. That's very nice. I myself You're always 50. rely on the 45 yeah. service web. I like this. Yeah. The gun that lost the Northwest Frontier. Yeah, very yeah. nice
1: indeed. <laughs> oh, now, now he's it. Now
2: he's well, have we left some meat on the bone that we haven't... Yeah, I mean, I think... Nor at yet. I think...
0: I think from the shows that we watched, there's not a lot more that we can say at this stage, but I think that what we need to do is to reconvene at a later date because there's a lot more... That seems like a good idea. Yeah, I think there's a lot more about Benteen and his uh, his output that we can talk about.
2: Maybe I can read his entire autobiography by that point. I'm a terribly slow reader.
0: Well, I wouldn't mind reading one of his because he wrote a couple of novels, didn't he? Right, yes. um, So I wouldn't mind perhaps reading one of his novels. I'd like to watch some of the Bumblies. right um, i have a couple of those so. um there's some audio that i'd like to listen to as well so i think we could we could perhaps meet again next year and talk about more more bentine
2: um, excellent i look forward to it
0: but um just before we wrap up is there anything i mean you've mentioned pussy Riot, not pussy riot
2: right <laughs> <laughs> Is, they'll ride up with where write up with is there anything they, is, you see there's already an i being said podcast we're aware of called that does suit madam
1: that's
2: right uh they do it they, but that was more they were doing every single episode and it was more reactions mm. uh being to americans uh whereas so we're more we're going to do it series by series rather than every individual episode and bring more of our research chops to bear. Yep. Anything else coming up? Not that I can think of. Okay. I've got a bit of a flat brain, you know. It's, I've, It's you been know,
0: a while since I've talked this much. Well, you're going to be rushing out, like, what, at least half a dozen Christmas cards. Yeah, candles. I'm
2: either going to rush them out or I'm just going to resume again next July. Right. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I haven't decided yet.
0: We forgot to tell the boys and girls. I'm um, I was your first guest on that, wasn't I? Talking about oh yes, talking about a Muppet Christmas Carol. That mm-hmm. is a, that is available for for all to hear. All right. So tilt, listen. It, it has been it has been a blast. We will get back together and talk about more bentine stuff uh, at some point early next year. And until then, uh, farewell. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you again to Tilt. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you haven't already, could you please rate and review on Apple Podcasts? And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the fear of wages. So uh, tune in for that. Uh, In the meantime, take care of yourselves. I will see you soon. Bye.